Please turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. We continue our study through this wonderful epistle of Paul to the Galatian church. Probably the oldest New Testament epistle. But a book that speaks to us today very clearly as we struggle with the same problem the Galatians struggled with. The church was planted as the gospel was preached and people came to trust Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. His work on the cross is rising again. But shortly after the church was planted, crept in to the church was a teaching that, yes, held to faith in Christ, but it added to faith in Christ an adherence to the traditional rites and rituals of the Jewish church. Circumcision in particular, but also feasts and festivals and, and works of the law, those were added. And so people were confused. And Paul wrote and responded by giving a clear explanation of how we are made right with God. That was confusing and it was in need of an answer, a clear answer. And we have to say that that's the question every human being really does ask. How can we be right with God? And there are different different answers, and that's why there's the diversity of opinion we have. But everyone asks the question, how may we be right? Sinful people be made right with God. How may people who are estranged from God be made right with God? And this is why Paul writes this book of Galatians to give us clarity about this all-important question. Hear God's word. I will read starting at verse 1 of chapter 3. Our focus, though, will be on verse 6, 7, 8, and 9 this morning. Follow as I read God's holy, inspired word. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please impress upon us again this hour the importance of our understanding the complete sufficiency of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. Take from our hearts any notion that we have somehow contributed our righteousness to make us right with you. Your word so clearly teaches that we are made right with you only by the righteousness of Christ credited to us by faith in him. Father, take away our pride and multiply our awe of you this hour, that our lives may be motivated and prompted by your grace in Jesus Christ. Amen. In Galatians, we are talking about being justified by faith in Christ alone. 
You know, many people think of this message of salvation as being somewhat new to the time of Christ. Maybe you've heard the Old Testament is about the law, the New Testament is about grace. And this false division is propagated even in churches. And we, we grow to think there's a, a big separation between the people of God before Jesus is coming and dying and rising again and, and after. And we think of two different plans almost. And you see this really perpetuated much today where there's a plan God has for Abraham's sons, which are, is, means Israel, and, and then the church, the New Testament age. And we, we lose the fact that the Bible is very, very clear that there is only ever one way of salvation. Uh, Abraham was saved the same way, he was justified the same way as you and I, by faith. And this is important for this audience to hear because they were confused by those Judaizers who had come in and said, you need to add some Jewish rites and rituals to your newfound faith in Christ in order to be right with God. And so for Paul to use an example of Abraham is ingenious. Uh, he could have used Moses which would have spoke to them as well. But Abraham, the father, the one that they had gained so much uh, pride from, being sons of, Ab- of Abraham, Paul would use Abraham to show them that justification is by faith alone. And so this is a continuation of the argument that Paul has been making throughout this book that is so important that he continues to develop it and bolster it with each new verse that we read. We have before us the example of Abraham helping us to see the role of faith in Christ for our justification, that it has always been God's plan. You remember the first mention of the gospel message happens in Genesis 3, when man falls and God responds, if you will, at least in time and space, with the declaration of the gospel, that he will bring enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, and the seed of the woman who would ultimately be Christ. And he would have his heel bruised as he crushed the head of the serpent. That's a picture of the gospel. It's something God would do. I will put enmity. I will do this. Man cannot. He's dead now. It only is something God can do. No one else can assist in this. Man can offer nothing to it. He must put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, and he will do so by the sacrifice of his own son. It's pictured already in Genesis. Then when we come to Genesis 12, Abraham is given a view of what God will do by making him a Gentile pagan, just like many of us before we came to Christ. He will make him a great nation, and through him all nations will be blessed. Never the plan to make him the only nation or the prime nation, but a great nation through which all nations, people from every tribe, every tongue would be blessed by the same gospel message that God would provide a Redeemer, and we must trust in that Redeemer to pay for our sins. This unified message of the Gospel starts in Genesis, and it goes all the way through Revelation, and that same grace that brought us there will be similar 10,000 years from now. The same grace that saves us. Now, I would like us to consider, by way of review, much of what has been said in the first few chapters of Galatians, and of course throughout the, the whole New Testament. In fact, Romans chapter 4 has a great parallel to the passage we're studying today. And we'll refer to it later, but recognize this is not unique just to Galatians, but it is the prime focus of this epistle of Paul. We learn from Galatians and in other places that the instrument of faith, faith itself, is an instrument used by God for our justification and our sanctification. We've been studying this so far, that we are made right with God by faith in Christ, so that Christ's righteousness becomes our righteousness. It's imputed to us. 
by faith, by believing in what Christ has done. But this is also the basis for our sanctification, our growth in grace. And we'll consider that in a moment. But for now, just consider faith. We use the word faith, have faith. You just got to have faith, people say. And normally when people say that in popular language, they really mean you have to muster up some kind of blind belief in something or, or some irrational belief in something or, or just this kind of sense of, of mustering or conjuring a belief against evidence. Well, that's not what's being said by Paul when he speaks of faith. He's talking about something God gives as a gift so that we may lay hold of Christ, an instrument God uses to bring us in union with Christ. Now, it's a gift. It's not something you conjure. If you conjured it, that would be a work of sorts and it would be added. Be no different than the Galatian problem. But that's not what faith is. I was happy to hear as Scott prayed, he thanked God for the gift of faith in Jesus. And that's correct. That's what faith is. In fact, if you look in your bulletin, the assurance of pardon that Pastor Nathan read is from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. That verse gives you one of the many explanations of faith as a gift that is necessary for us to uh, appreciate how God uses faith in our lives and what it is. You'll notice in that verse, for by grace you have been saved through faith, uh, in that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Look at that for a moment to see how faith is a gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith. There's a complex there, a construct By grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you have been saved through faith. By grace through faith. That's how we're saved. By grace through faith. Now, what does it say? And this, what's this? Being saved by grace through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. What is it? Being saved by grace through faith. Salvation from beginning to end is the gift of God. This is important. Its prime application to our life is the the real humility it brings so that we recognize what it says in verse 9 of Ephesians 2, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If man can boast, there's that much glory taken from God and all the glory goes to God. He uses faith to unite us together with the Son so that we embrace his son, that we rest in his son, that we receive his son, that we accept his son, that we have faith in his son. It's the gift of God. Now, there is a a little known theologian, some will know, by the name of Theodore Beza. Now, if I asked you who took over after Vince Lombardi left, how many of you would know? Maybe two of you. How many people know who took over for John Calvin when he left? A much more important question. Theodore Beza. And he said some profoundly biblical, wise things. I want you to hear what he said as he taught on this subject of the gift of faith. And I think it's very important for us to properly understand faith. Listen to what Beza said. He says, we are at this point such enemies of our own salvation. He's talking about our state before faith. We are at this point such enemies of our own salvation because of our natural corruption that if God had merely contended himself to tell us that we shall find our salvation in Jesus Christ, we would only mock it. In other words, you could tell dead people all you want that Jesus died for your salvation, for their salvation. Dead people will not respond. He goes on. Thus, has the world always done and will do to the end. 
Even more, if he added nothing more than to tell us also that the means whereby we experience the efficacy of this remedy against eternal death is to believe in Jesus Christ, that would profit us nothing. So even if he just said it to us that you have to believe, that would do us nothing because we're still dead. Faisa goes on, for in all this, we are more than dumb, deaf, and blind through the corruption of our nature. It would be no more possible for us even to wish to believe than it would be for a dead man to fly. It is necessary, therefore, that with all this, the good Father who chose us for his glory should come to multiply his mercy toward his enemies in declaring to us that he has given his own only son so that whoever takes hold of him by faith should not perish. And here's the key. He creates also in us this instrument of faith which he requires from us. That's grace. No man can boast. God requires faith and he gives you faith so that you can lay hold of Christ. If you hold Christ today, praise God that he has given you faith to lay hold of him. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works that no one may boast. What is justification then? What do we gain by faith? Justification. You remember back in Galatians 2.16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. So justification, again, is an act of God's free grace where he pardons all of our sins and he then accepts us as righteous in his sight based on the righteousness of Christ given to us by faith. That's justification. It comes by faith. This is the same way any person who has ever been justified has been justified. And we see this most typified in Galatians 3, 6, our text before us. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's a statement of justification by faith from Genesis. Counted to him as righteousness. That means it's reckoned to him as righteousness. Credited to him as righteousness. Abraham, by faith in God receive the righteousness of Christ. That's justification. What is sanctification? Well, that's the, the ongoing work that comes from justification. Now that we're in right relationship with God, we have the righteousness of Christ positionally. Now in life, in our lives, God begins to work out the stuff in our lives that does not bear the image of God, does not show ourselves to be sons or daughters of God. Sanctification is, again, God's free work of grace. He does. We're renewed in the whole man. We're enabled more and more to die to sin and live unto righteousness. It's to set us apart. It's a process of growing us up, maturing us. It's spiritual growth that's being made complete or perfected. It doesn't happen completely in this life, but it begins from this position we now have in Christ. So faith, again, plays an integral role. Our faith in Christ then also promotes our life in Christ. And we read that in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, the light of what Christ has done in justifying us, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So we continue to grow in faith. God saves us by faith in Christ. And then we grow and we walk in our life as our faith grows. So do we. In Christ. Continues to mature us spiritually. 
In fact, Paul says as much when he's speaking to the Romans. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Talking about justification. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So we're justified by faith and then our life is lived by faith, continued faith in Christ that he provides, that he builds up, that he strengthens, that he challenges. Well, in this sense, we have to recognize that saving faith may really just look like a thin rope for some. It's a gift that God gives, but it may be thin. It gets thicker as the means of God's grace are utilized in your life. You may just have a thin strand, my brother and my sister, but it's saving faith. It's giving you faith in Christ, but you're struggling. Well, he gives us a means to see that faith grow and be built to become thicker. The prime means he gives us is his word, which is always attended by his spirit. So as we study his word, read his word, hear it preached, hear it taught, memorize it, God grows your faith. He builds your faith. He sanctifies you. But he doesn't just give us his word in a vacuum. His word gives us the sacraments. So we have a physical, visible means of grace, a sign and a seal of God's covenant, his grace. So when baptism is applied, uh, there's a special administration of his grace that reminds us, that brings anew to us the reality of what God does, how he is the actor, and we're passive as he cleanses us. It pictures what he does. Uh, when we think of our own baptism, we recognize that means of grace. When we think of the Lord's Supper, every week we are reminded, no matter what you feel like, that this is true, that Christ died for our sins. He takes away our sins and he victoriously gives us this meal to remember this. And every time we partake, every time we eat, every time we drink, we proclaim his death, which is our life. And it's a means of grace and your faith grows. You may come in here not feeling so good about yourself or maybe feeling too good about yourself. And we're reminded by the table that it is only by God that we gain salvation through the blood of his son, the breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood. That's a means of grace that builds our faith. It may be a string, but becomes thick and stronger because the means of grace are utilized and worked in our lives and we grow. Being with God's people around his word, growth and grace, praying according to God's word. God gives us stronger faith by trials that come into our lives that we cannot understand, that bring us away from our own strength and we have to rely upon God. That's the means of grace that God uses in suffering to grow our faith in Him. So the role of faith is initial in justification, but it's ongoing throughout our life as we live. You know, his argument, Paul's argument for justification by faith alone is bolstered as he refers to a very important figure. Instead of using Moses, the most spoken of prophet of Israel, the one the Judaizers would have been most, uh, most quoting and most familiar with, Paul refers back beyond before Moses to Abraham. And there we have the example of Father Abraham helping us understand the role of faith. Look at verse 6. We'll see very clearly how Abraham was justified. It says most vividly, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
just as Abraham connects back to what has preceded in the first two and a half chapters of Galatians, just as we have been saying justification is by faith in Christ, not by works, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was justified the same way you and I are justified, by faith. And I realize as we read the scriptures, we see he's called a man of faith. And often we see the works that Abraham did, which are amazing. I mean, he left a place of comfort and riches to go to a place unknown. And he's given credit for that in Hebrews as, as one who is a man of faith, no doubt. But recognize that's the fruit of faith God had given him to do it. He could not have done it had God not given him faith. And then for him to take his only son and to obey God and take him up on Moriah to sacrifice him and, and to believe God, that, that's obviously faith, but it's a faith that God had given him and it showed itself in action. That's why he's commended. That's why anyone's commended for faith. Because it's real faith that God gives that shows itself in fruit. And recognize that Abraham was saved by faith in Christ. Now, he may not have known the particulars of Christ that you and I have the benefit of knowing this side of the cross and with the full exposure of Scripture. But make no mistake, he knew he was believing in God's provision of redemption. Whatever that would look like in particular, and it became more and more clear as God revealed himself in Scripture. And for Abraham in particular, to have God tell him to bring his son, his only son, to that mountain to sacrifice, we see the faith that Abraham had in his Savior, in his Redeemer. Because as he did this, he tells his servant, as he's going up, we will return. So there's a sense in which one might say that the confession of Abraham is that I will bring my son and I will slay him as God has provided, has told me to do, has instructed me to do, but I will come back and he will be with me, is the inference you get very clearly from Abraham, that he did not believe he would stay dead. So there's a sense in which you could say the confession of Abraham is more advanced than you might have thought, that he trusted and believed in God's redemption and resurrection. Abraham believed. That's why he was justified. That's how anyone who's ever been saved has been saved. Genesis 15 is important because of its position. Paul quotes Genesis 15:6 in Galatians. Remember the Judaizers are an audience to this. Judaizers saying that circumcision is required for salvation. Listen to Genesis 15:5 and 6. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven. This is God speaking to Abraham about what he will do. And number the stars. If you are able to number them, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. That's in Genesis 15, 6. This is important because the rite of circumcision, the sacrament of circumcision, was not given till two chapters later. So he was justified by faith in what God had promised him. But he does not have the sign of circumcision applied till two chapters later. Remember, chief teaching of the Judaizers is that circumcision had to be added to faith in Christ. Well, Abraham was justified without having been circumcised. So clearly they're wrong. Genesis 17, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He was eight days old among you shall be circumcised every male throughout your generations. So the sign of the covenant is given and it's great important, great importance. We ought to remember the perpetual sign of the covenant that's given, but it's not the means of justification. It's a sign of justification. It's a sign of what God does and has done. But we're not justified by it. 
nor was Abraham. And it was wrong for the Judaizers to say that you had to be circumcised or follow this act of the law or this piece of obedience in order to be saved. Because Abraham wasn't saved that way. Your father and you're all sons of Abraham, he's saying. The wonderful argument that he makes that is very important for us even today. In Romans, when Paul is addressing the same issue, he says in Romans 4, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to his works or his flesh, it says. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. So in Romans, Paul quotes the Genesis passage also. Then he says, And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteous. And in Romans 4, 9, we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised, Romans 4, 10. So Paul confronts this error with Scripture itself proving that Abraham wasn't justified the way the Judaizers were requiring the Gentiles to be. Being a descendant of Abraham certainly brought with it privileges. The history, the scriptures, no doubt, being Jewish brings with it a rich history. But being a descendant of Abraham in that sense, in the ethnic sense, is useless for salvation without faith in Christ. Abraham was saved by faith in Christ not because he was Abraham. So who are the true sons of Abraham? A very important question. Scripture speaks of the sons of Abraham regularly. We think of Israel. We think of spiritual Israel. Well, listen to the words of the covenant God made with Abraham back in Genesis 12. And I think we'll get an insight into the very heartbeat of God and what he does in working out redemption and what is being spoken of here and even in Galatians. In Genesis 12, the first verse says, Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And here's the key. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The end goal in using Abraham and his physical descendants in that immediate time frame. The end goal was to bring people of all nations to Christ. The Abrahamic covenant's purpose was to use Abraham's ethnic progeny to bring forth the Messiah who would be the savior of the world. Not just a particular ethnic group. Being a son of Abraham in the way that it matters means having the faith of Abraham, which is in Christ. Abraham's covenant means a vast progeny, spiritual progeny, of men, women, and children from every tribe and every tongue. Look at our text today. Just as Abraham believed in God, believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. And look at verse 7 now. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Yes, Abraham lacked the details we have concerning the person of Christ, 
but he believed God for Christ. The perspective of the Old Testament believer was not as complete as ours, but it was still faith in the Redeemer alone for salvation. Their understanding was far more advanced than we may give them credit. But having said that, I'm much happier on this side of the cross than I think I would have been on the other. You remember that we read in our, in our confession of faith or our profession of faith uh, from the 20th chapter. And it talked about the liberty we have in Christ. And there was liberty that was had by those who were before Christ. But it's better now. It's a better covenant. Uh, we, we don't have the, the trappings and the weight of the ceremonial law anymore. We have Christ crucified. Proclaimed as crucified before us, shown forth in the supper, read forth in the word. This side of Christ, we enjoy a liberty that's even even more free than it was before. Lots of blessings about this reality, this truth that's emphasized in these verses by Paul. But I think what I'd like you to most appreciate is again the emphasis on God's sovereign hand in saving us that brings us a humility we need to grow in grace, but also an understanding of the essential unity between the people of God from all times. You know, in recent years, there's been an unhealthy and unbiblical division between ethnic Israel and spiritual Israel. Well, spiritual Israel is the Israel that God is concerned with and working through. It's not to say that he might not bring revival to those who are ethnically Jewish, but his focus, his redemptive plan, happens through the church. This is the way God moves and works. And for those to know God, they must know Christ and be part of his church. His church is defined as sons of Abraham. If you're a son of Abraham, you're part of his church. Who are the sons of Abraham? Those who by faith trust in Christ. This is what we learn. So vivid, so powerful. There's a unifying theme of faith in Christ from the beginning to the end of Scripture. I'll say as a, a side note, but a frequently, asked, off, uh, a frequently asked question, one of the reasons why we apply baptism to our children is this understanding of the unity of God's people. In the Old Testament, God gave a sign to mark our children with. Those who come to Christ, first-generation believers, should be marked with the sign. And those children they have after should be marked with the sign, a sign of the covenant of God's grace. It's a sign of the work that God does by faith. It's not a sign that makes them have faith. It's a sign that promotes faith. It's a sign that evidences what God has done. It's a sacrament in that sense. It's a sacred thing. We believe that in the Old Testament, the sign was circumcision, that it transferred at the the, the death, burial, and then resurrection of Christ. It transferred then to baptism. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, you have Peter giving a sermon to primarily a Jewish audience And he's telling them about Christ dying for them. He's giving the gospel. And he's saying, believe and be baptized. Same thing was said to Abraham, by the way. Believe and be circumcised. He says to the people there, believe and be baptized. You and your children, this promises to. That's the literal word of Acts 2.38. You and your children, this promises to. Now, no Jewish believer would stand there and say, oh, but he must mean we should wait for them to make a profession of faith before we apply baptism. And the reason why that question is not answered over or asked over and over and answered in every epistle is because there was no question in the mind of the listener. This is the new sign of the covenant. The perpetual sign continues in its new form. We apply this sign to our children. It's a sign of God's covenant grace. And it's a unity of God's people by faith. And the same is true for the Lord's Supper. In the Old Testament, they had the Passover meal that symbolized what would happen as the, the lamb died and blood was applied to those who believed. The supper looks back at the finished work of Christ 
the Passover lamb slain for us. There's a, a beautiful unity between the people of God that makes that transcends any kind of ethnic barrier we might bring. Paul uses Abraham as a way for us to better understand the role of faith in our justification. And again, this week we have before us a tool for self-examination. Are you right with God today? If you answer yes, on what basis do you say that you're right with God? How are you right with God? Do you think you are right with God because you believe in Jesus and because you do good things? Well, if you say that, you're guilty of the same error that the Galatians are being corrected concerning. My friends, brothers and sisters, being right with God means this. Accepting, receiving, resting upon, trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. Let's pray. You have made us sons of Abraham by faith in Christ, our Heavenly Father. His work on the cross brings us reconciliation with you. We are your sons and your daughters now. We can see and joyfully confess that there can be no improvement on the work of Jesus on the cross by any human achievement, by way of either ritual observance or moral improvement, by our performance. Lord, we confess that the cross is the one way of salvation. And faith in our Redeemer has given us eternal life. Lord, encourage my brothers and my sisters here today with a fresh understanding of why they are counted as righteous. And for the one who wonders, whose heart is stirred, pray that your spirit would work to rid them of any trust in the flesh. Give them no confidence in any work they could perform that they would rest solely in what Jesus has done. Bring them new life. And I pray that you would bring glory to Christ through the redemption of your people. Pray this in the Redeemer's name, our Lord Jesus. Amen. Let us respond together by singing a hymn that is unfamiliar to us, but I have full faith you will be able to catch on and sing it well. It is a wonderful hymn with great words. Stand and sing 626, O Lord, by grace delivered, verses 1 through 3.